Last week, we um, spoke from Matthew 23, Matthew 24, where Jesus, as he be- begins to prepare to go to the cross, he, begin, he, one, he starts having a go at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he begins to prepare the people for his own demise, but for a future kingdom that's coming for, for future events. And um, he begins to speak about end times. And it's not always an easy thing to hear, um, but something that I think is really important that we hear, that there's a kingdom that's been established. And one day, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to establish his kingdom in all its fullness. Um, And so we have the opportunity from now until then, whenever that might be, and we'll touch on that again today, to actually live a life that leads us to that. And at, at the heart of such a life is this idea of repenting, that repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And every time we come into contact with the kingdom, every time the kingdom comes to bear in our lives, there's a repentance that's needed, not this woe is me repentance. This repentance is I see something new of the kingdom, therefore I need to change and realign my life in the light of that. Most of us realign our lives around convenience or around things that make us happy or things that make it easier. But actually, we call to realign our lives around the things of the kingdom. And that's a whole lot harder. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, But I think what Jesus was saying in that, that there's an urgency. There's an urgency in this because we don't know the day. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be in a 100 years. It could be in a 1,000 years. We don't know. But... Because we don't know, there's urgency. We can't put off till tomorrow what God expects us to do today. Yet, I hazard a guess, we all do it. All of us put off till tomorrow or next week or when I get to this position or when I get that amount of money or when I do this to actually embrace the things of the kingdom. And I think Jesus comes to warn against that. Um, He says in chapter 24, uh, verse 44 of 24, Therefore, you must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. That's kind of the heart. So then we're going to read into these three parables that come in chapter, in chapter 25, and then chapter 26 becomes narrative again, talking about Jesus and his way to the cross, and etc., etc. So let's read the first parable, chapter 25, first 13 verses. Well, I'll, I'll come back to reading it. I want to say something else first. I want to read this quickly, if I can. This is... Um, from this book that Brian and I have been using about parables by Snodgrass is his name. It's a good English name. And I want to read something because I think it's actually, it's actually quite powerful in helping us understand. It says, The church cannot afford to neglect the eschatological. Do you know what eschatological means? Does anyone know what that word means? It's a good word. It means end times. The end. Things to do with the end. The church cannot afford to neglect the eschatological aspect of its message. An understanding of the gospel that does not include the future is not the Christian gospel and is insufficient for dealing with the problem of evil. What's he saying there? If we don't have a theology of the end, then we're just stuck with evil and war and all that here. But when you have a theology that includes the end, then you see hope. Without the future, there's no hope. Um, one of the guy goes as far as to say that apart from the parousia, you know, Jesus coming back, the second coming, Jesus could not be called the Christ in the New Testament meaning of the word. He is right. At the same time, Christians must avoid any fascination with and speculation about the end. 
The nature of the biblical documents does not encourage or allow drawing of charts and schedules to plot out the sequence of events. Any attempt to do so flounders on the New Testament evidence itself. And that was not the purpose of the eschatological teaching, of the end-time teaching. Its purpose was to give warning, to give hope, and to teach people how to live in the present. I want you to hear that. When Jesus speaks about these things, it comes out of chapter 24 into 25. He's wanting to give a warning. He's wanting to give hope. And he wants to teach us how to live in the present with the light of the future. Jesus often uses hyperbole. Does anyone know what hyperbole is? Good English word. Exaggeration. He exaggerates things to try and make a point. And such language is used for its shock value. Judgment is serious in the teaching of Jesus. But what we say theologically about judgment must be much more nuanced without lessening its seriousness. Does that make sense? So we don't walk around saying turn or burn. That's not nuanced. We've got to speak with love and grace and compassion about the way that Jesus deals with judgment. Christian ethics are eschatologically driven. The way we live, our ethics are, are determined by uh, how we see the future. The attitudes and behavior expected of Christians, such as self-giving love, are grounded in a theology of the kingdom present and coming. Without such grounding in the future, the ethic is truly irrational. At the same time, life over the long haul poses an acute challenge to Christian faith. How can the church acknowledge both its long history and its lively hope without looking silly? Both patience and impatience are legitimate and necessary responses. Giving the New Testament emphasis that no one knows the time and the length of time that has passed, patience is required. For God's timing and purposes never fit our agenda. Patience undergirds the faithful living, which is the primary concern of these parables. The wise and faithful Christian is the one who understands the significance of the end and actively serves whether the time is long or short. Impatience is called for as well. We should be impatient with those who assert that they do know the time and draw eschatological charts. We should be impatient with those who deny the importance of Jesus' future vindication. Further, we should be impatient for the end to come, weary of evil and longing for that time when evil is set aside and righteousness is established. Christian faith is always faith on tiptoe. I love that, this line. Christian faith is always faith on tiptoe, looking to that day, and because of that day, living in accord with such anticipation. The focus on faithfulness reminds us again that Christian faith is not primarily about believing certain ideas, but about living out convictions over the long haul. The church is often impressed with claims of faith. Claims and short-lived faith suffice for nothing. What counts is faithfulness to the end. And I think there's this great challenge that we face in our world today, um, as we spoke about last week, is that everywhere people are dropping away from faith. Everywhere, all around the world, or at least in the Western world, are dropping away from faith and I think the thing that God is challenging us in this, as he, as he speaks to us through the text, is that he wants us to be faithful, faithful to the end, that 
Ecclesiastes, way back there, the end of the matter is better than its beginning. How we finish, how we finish is more important than how we start. God wants us to come to the end. When he comes, when will he find faith on the earth? So let's read this parable then. Then, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, I want you to underline that word will, because all the previous ones are the kingdom of heaven is like, because it's present stuff. This one is the kingdom of heaven will. Jesus is now talking about something future. Be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, that's a good word to underline in this parable, delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be not enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. And afterward the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Quite a radical parable, actually. You just got to think about it. Um, and what, in essence, what Jesus is doing is, is comparing the readiness um, to participate in the celebration of a wedding to the readiness to participate in the coming kingdom. That's what we, that's what's, what he's talking about here. Okay. Now, what, what I don't want to do is go into all the nuances of weddings and what this means and what that means, etc. We'll touch on a few of them because so many people try to read into these texts what I don't think is there. Um, but we'll say this. In this wedding feast, there was a delay. And the delay in a, in a, in a, in a Hebrew wedding, there was a, normally something that happened at the bride's house, like a feast or something, and then there was a procession to the groom's house where they would have the, the wedding. Because generally, the bride would join the groom and they would live in the house with his parents. They would just add another room. So that's kind of work. So there, in the story, there is a delay between the groom leaving the feast and coming to the place where the actual wedding is going to happen. And so these, in the picture, the image that's given are these ten young girls who are maybe part of the bridal party, knowing the bride. They're waiting to go to the wedding. So there's this private event happening here, so they're waiting to go, and so they have this anticipation. All right, so do you get the picture? That's what's kind of happening at a high level. The other thing I think it's important to see in this is that almost every commentator says that in this, Jesus is self-identifying as the bridegroom. All right, he's speaking about himself, and he's using a general understanding of a wedding. So, all right, and we know that the scriptures teach about that the, the church is the bride of Christ now, but we don't want to read all of that into the text. We just want to use the story to illustrate a point. Um, so I think what Jesus is saying, if you come out of 24 into 25, is saying the kingdom has come partially through me. Where I am, there the kingdom is. You know, The kingdom of heaven is like, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John the Baptist said that. Jesus said that. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. It was here to bear. Wherever Jesus is, there the kingdom is. Not in its fullness, partially, 
And it keeps growing. So every time we see someone saved, every time we see a healing, every time we see a deliverance, every time we see, we see God do something really amazing, it's, a, it's an image, it's a picture. This is what something of the kingdom looks like. Currently, the kingdom is in conflict with the kingdoms of this world, and we live in the space between what is and what, what is to come. You know, the, uh, George Ladd used to speak about the presence of the future. We hear, but the future is broken in, but not in fullness. And we still have sin and death and all that in play with the kingdom bearing. But a day is coming when that's all going to be sorted out. Death will be no more. So for us who have embraced Jesus, who have entered into kingdom life, death, where is your sting? Because why? Because death is, that part, that fear of death is gone from us because we are assured, or we should be assured, of a future kingdom with Jesus. Now I know we all go through doubt and we all struggle through some of those things. But doubt is never a hassle to Jesus. You know? It's, it's, it's an opportunity, I'll touch on that, opportunity to keep working through the things that God wants us to do. But in this middle period, where the kingdom has come but not fully, and the sin and death are still in, in play, Jesus is asking his people, be ready. Get yourselves ready. Start living now as what the future will look like. So when the future comes, you're not caught unawares with how it's, what it's like. Um, Dallas Willard used to say, when you di- if, you, if you're living in kingdom life and living with Jesus, when you die, you might, might not know that you have died. Because if you're so embraced in kingdom life, it'll just be a transition into a bigger section of the kingdom life. For some of us, it's going to be a huge shock when the kingdom comes. I think, maybe you know, for me, I'm thinking, oh, whoa, maybe I won't even recognize it. But if we prepare now, if we are ready now, when the kingdom comes, whether it comes because we die or whether it comes because Jesus returns, it'll be this natural, should be this natural, seamless transition into the fullness of, ah, that's what I've been longing for. Ah, now I see it. That's what I've been praying for. I think that's what Jesus is saying. We'll be ready for that because it's going to come at a time you least expect it. Be ready. You know? Um, just at a base level, death happens when we least expect it. And um, paper everywhere. At the heart of this here is this issue of delay. There's a delay. These, these virgins were thinking, this is going to happen in a general scheme of things. You know, maybe that the feast takes an hour and then there's a half an hour walk to the other house and then there's a wedding. Who knows? But there was a delay. Maybe that feast was so good. They'd been sitting at Linda's table and eat feasting. I don't know. And it was delayed. Something had happened. And so they're waiting, they're waiting. And in their, in their waiting, they fall asleep. There's a weariness. And I think we have to see that in our waiting for Jesus to come in his fullness, there's a weariness. I, I don't know, how long have you been serving the Lord, Betsy? Since you were five. So that's 32 years. Um, whatever. You know, we've been serving the Linda's over 40 years. You're over 40 years. I'm nearly at that time. We've been serving. That's, like you think, well, in my lifetime, that's a long time. In the space of eternity, it's nothing. But it's easy to grow weary in the waiting. Because we have expectations of how we think, think things should be and that they should happen quicker than we think and that we should just keep going at that level and parabolic and you know, whatever and eventually we'll be soaring. But actually it kind of tends to go 
<laughs> like that more. And then we get weary. And Jesus is saying this story, both groups got weary. He's not knocking them for getting weary. That wasn't the point. He was saying the ones that got weary, one of them were ready in their weariness. They were still have an expectancy. Once it happens and I wake up, I'm ready to go. These others, when they woke up, they weren't ready to go. That's what he's saying. In this delay, it shows wisdom and foolishness. If there was no delay, there'd be no way to show who was foolish and who was wise. It's the delay that shows that. Does that make sense? Some of us, we could look at our lives and begin to say, oh, I'm acting very foolishly. And I think we need to do self-assessment. In our waiting, that leads to weariness often. And maybe our faith wanes and doubt creeps in. We need to take stock and say, am I being foolish or am I being wise? In my weariness, am I at least continuing to do the things that Jesus asked me to do the best that I know how to keep myself active? In the, some of you that years ago spoken that kedging. You remember kedging? Doing things in the moment when it feels like nothing is happening. That's why spiritual practices are so important. Spiritual practices are not for us because we're feeling good. Yeah, I wake up in the morning and pray. Woo! Wonderful. Spiritual practices are to keep me going when I don't feel like doing it. Accountability to one another, I'll come with that at the end, is to help us keep on doing the spiritual practices when we don't want to do them. Is that right? It's in that delay that we see who's foolish and who's wise. And that's not us for us to judge. It will just be displayed one day. Um, so the concern, so the, the, the hinge that this, this parable works on, this is idea of delay. But the thing that Jesus wants to get our attention to is the idea of readiness. Are we ready? Are we preparing? You know, um, I've got a 55-gallon drum, a blue one that's specially made for earthquake water. Have you seen it? Right now it's empty, and it's been empty for quite a while. It was filled, but then it expired, and I emptied it out. And I haven't yet refilled it. Because I live with this, oh, it's not, earthquake's not going to come. But we had a shaking last week. And Linda said, please, can you fill the drum? Because the essence is, in reality, we could get a major earthquake, and I'll be shown to be foolish. Having the stuff without the stuff. Does it make sense? We need to be ready. Because some of you are going to come to our house because we've got a big yard, and you know, when you've got neighbors, have got a big yard now too. And you want to pitch a tent, and you say, have you got water? And I'm thinking, no, because I neglected to fill the 55-gallon drum. I wasn't ready for something that I knew was coming, but I wasn't sure when it was coming. Is that right? We know an earthquake's coming. Tyler really encouraged me yesterday. He said, where we live is good for earthquakes, the way whatever you explained. So I'm feeling much better. <laughs> but I still got to fill up the 55 gallon drum. And I've got to check my generator that it works because they seize if you don't keep starting them. And I've got a generator that works off propane. So I've got to make sure I have propane. Does it, you see, it doesn't does give you the sense. We, they have to, we have to do things to make sure we're ready for an event that's coming. Jesus is telling us to do the same thing, and it's a lot more serious. 
Because you know, if my house falls down, I can somehow I will survive. But if the house falls down with me in it, and something pierces me, and that's the end, that's a lot more serious. Which one was I most ready for? Um, that little thing that I read says that the heart of Christian faith is this, this expectation that one day God is coming back and God's going to make everything right. It's one of the things I love about listening to N.T. Wright. If you listen to N.T. Wright, he always talks about God is coming to put all things right. So make all things good. That which is broken is going to be restored. That which is lost will be found. Sickness is gone. Death is gone. Mourning is gone. Tears are gone. Sin is gone. It's going to make everything right. And if we don't live with that expectation, if we don't live with a, with a realization that there's a day like that coming, then there's no reason to get ready. Because then we must live, eat, do what we like, and die. As Christians, we should, we, we've got a hope. Our faith is rooted in a hope. Our faith is rooted in a hope that God is coming back to finish what he started and to fulfill what he pro- promised. Does it make sense? That's where our hope is. Without hope, you can't have faith. And if your faith is waning, maybe a good place to start is say, Lord, have I lost hope? And if I've lost hope, is it because I've lost the sense of the future of what you have promised? Um, living as wise people means being prepared for God's reign. Readiness is an attitude, it's a commitment, and it's a lifestyle. You have an attitude, I'm ready. But it's also a commitment to actually do things. And make sure things are ready. You know, if we, we had this little event at our house yesterday. So there was a commitment. We're going to do this event. And if you came and... No, but our intention was to be ready. That was our motivation, was to be ready. But actually we weren't ready. So now we're scrambling. And some of you think, you're taking too long to scramble. I'm just going to go to El Pollo Loco or something and eat there. Or wherever you want to go. No, but if we, we have an intention to be ready, therefore we got ready and we started in the morning to clean the house and buy this and do that and lay it out and make chicken liver pate and I had to go buy the chicken livers and come back. And, you, know, you know what I'm saying? There's, there's an intention and then there's the actual practical reality of getting ready. You know, there's a commitment to it. But in that, there's this further step, which is this, this lifestyle of we want to be ready at any time that something could happen and people are welcome in our home. We're ready. Does that make sense? That's what it's like to walk in the ways of God as well. Um, it, live, it means living in a way that reflect and line up with the character of the kingdom and being faithful at all times. I'll be unfaithful today. Tomorrow I'll be faithful. But today might be the day. So how do we live this kind of life? I, th- I think that's a fairly reasonable question. How do we live such a life? What are the things we can do? Uh, how do we live in a state of readiness? Um, how can we live faithfully to the end? Well, we're going to answer por- partially today. I'm going to give you a f- few things, but our next series is actually going to be a very practical one. What is, how do we live now in the kingdom of God? We're going to look at some really practical things in the next series. So you've got to come back to hear that. Um, I think it's important. 
we, how do we live for the kingdom in God, with God's people in a world that's changing, where everyone is more busy than they ever have? I think I'm most probably the least busy person in the church, and I'm stretched beyond measure because I just wake up and I'm exhausted. It doesn't make, you know? And all of you are way more busy than that. So we live in, we're all busy. Your resources are stretched like they've never been stretched before. Is that right? Your time is stretched like it's never been stretched before. Everything's at a premium. How do we live kingdom life with God's people, being faithful with our kids and all? How do we do that? Well, we want to, we want to try and cover some of that in a very practical way. I'm look, but I want to give you a few pointers. So I prayed this morning, saying, Lord, I need a few things. What are some things? Some are very serious, some are not so serious. But to help me in this world that I currently find myself in to, to work it out. See, there's this trend that's happened that people are so busy, so overwhelmed, they're leaving the cities because they want their kids to be raised somehow better, and they're going to small towns. Statistically, that's happening. Except the kids grow up, and what do they do? They go back to the city because that's where the jobs are. Now, mom and dad in a small town frustrated beyond measure. Tim Keller says, we have to learn how to live and raise our kids in the city because that's, ha- that's where life is happening. For a few people that go live in the woods, but for most people live in the city. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. So how do we prepare to live in the city where houses are smaller, people are cramped? How do we do that? Noise, traffic. You know, there was a time on our street, little Christmas tree lane. You never saw cars parked on the street. Unless you visitors. Now there are always cars parked on the street. Just as, it's like a visual. We live in a city. That's the way it is. So, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, which is obviously one of my favorite bits of text. The five lettuces, I'll read it. From verse 19, therefore, brothers since, and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have such a, gr- a great priest over the house of God, number one, let us draw near. The practice of drawing near to God on a regular basis. It's the challenge of Scripture, to draw near to God. I can't do that for you. You can only do that. You ha- Draw near to God, however that works for you, whether that works in a coffee shop, walking in the gardens, running on a trail, surfing, whatever it is, you've got to find the way to draw near to God. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He's already done the work of saving you, but he's wanting us to draw near to him. That urgency, that redness, Lord, here I am, know me, and he... And he he reveals himself. I'm going to do it quickly. Uh, next one. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You have to hold on to that which you believe. It is so easy to let go. It's so easy to give up. It's so easy in the face of people who don't believe that and mock you, whatever, to give up. I don't want to do that. But actually, no, hold fast. And you can't hold fast if you don't draw near. If you stop drawing near, you will let go. You see, 
God says, I'll never let go of you, but you can let go of him. Now, my understanding is that you'll still find your way into the presence of God, but maybe not in the fullness of rewards and a ruling and a reigning and the fullness of kingdom life. Hold on. Next one. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Why? I can't do this by myself. I need you. I need you to encourage me so that I can encourage you. Does does, does that sound weird? We need encouragement. We need to stir one another on. You can do it. You can hold on. When you feel like you, ah, like that. No. Hold on. I'm with you there. We're stir. How do we help? That's why this is so important, this community. Next one. There's not neglect meeting together. We can meet together because it's what we do on Sundays and it's kind of a tradition. Or we can meet together because we see it's vital to kingdom life. You know? In time past, we would never miss a Sunday. Because why? Because we felt guilty. There was this guilt of missing a Sunday. That's what everyone did. Now, those kind of things have passed. The world has changed. Life has changed. But what we've done is we too easily say no rather than saying yes. What I mean by that is Sunday it's like, yeah, I don't feel like going today. Nah, I won't. Because it's easy. No one's going to hold you to account. No one's, you know what I'm saying? But actually, the stirring of us as we grip God is saying, no, actually, I want to be there. Why? Because I need to be encouraged, but there might be someone there that needs me. It's not about what I'm going to get. It's about what I can give. Because I might need to stir someone up and poke them in the backside. But we so easily look for the opportunity not to do something. And actually, I think the getting ready is looking for the opportunity actually to do it. And that there, you know, I was... <clears throat> You know, the EHS thing we've been doing, which is so powerful. How did it end? Did it end well? You know, it is so powerful. I mean, it's revolutionary. But one of the dangers that comes out of something like EHS, or any of those type of things, is this idea of I am discovering who I am in God and that, and therefore it's easy to give up the idea of sacrifice because I'm not being true to myself. I've got to be real to myself. And that's not what that course was meant for. It was so that we become whole, so that as we sacrifice and inter- interact with people, there's a wholeness that we bring to the table, not a brokenness. But that's, where, that's how our world is shifting. Now, this is not a talk, you better be at church next Sunday. That's not what this talk is about. This talk is about the seriousness of a people being ready for when Jesus comes. And how do we get there? And then the fifth one under that is encourage one another. Fill each other with courage. And just feel like, ah, no, you can do it. That's why we need one another. And it's hard. It's much easier to be entertained. It's much harder to live kingdom life. So that's number one. How can we do that now? Number two, remember. I think we need to remember. Remember the faithfulness of God in the past. Remember when you got saved. When people say to me, this whole this Christian thing, I don't believe that. I can say, you know, you might say that, but I remember the night I got saved. I remember it clearly. I wasn't looking for God. He found me. There was something happened. I remember. 
So when I'm struggling now, I want to remember. When I'm doubting now, I want to remember. When I feel like my faith is waning, and is God real? Is he re- I want to remember. Because I rem- the Bible's full of remember. Remember. Number three, if you sit and say, God, would you just love me again? Just allow God to love you again. Because in that, it will hopefully come a stirring to be ready. Number four, make doubt your friend and trainer. Let doubt become your personal trainer. Because if you've got doubt, doubt is a, is, a, is, a, is a stirring, work through it. So that you come out the other side. But if you just let doubt keep sitting on you without doing anything, eventually it will crush you and you'll fade away. But doubt is something you want to work through. Let it be your friend. Let it be your personal trainer in the things of God. And fifthly, laugh at yourself from time to time and with others. Just laugh. How stupid are we? Just laugh. Over a glass of wine, over a good meal. Laugh. There's something beautiful about that reminding us that we are the people of God. Let's get ready. Let's not be found wanting. Let's not be found rushing around and then the bridegroom's already off and gone. Close with this. The delay of the coming of Jesus and the kingdom is filled with the mission of the church. Can I say that again? The delay of the coming of Jesus and the kingdom is filled with that space is filled with the mission of the church to go into all the world and love and make disciples and do all those things. So if we have a hope and we want to be ready and there is this delay, what do we fill our time with? We fill it with the mission of God's people going about the business of Jesus in our workspace, in our school space, in our gym space, in our home space, wherever we go. Did you get, get the point today? Get ready. Be ready. Keep getting ready. With the illustration of, of um, earthquakes, I got ready. I filled a 55-gallon drum, but I stopped getting ready because I got ready once, and then I had to empty it out, and I have to get ready again. It's an ongoing thing. Please don't give up. Father, may we be found in this community of Mercy Town to be wise followers. May we be found to be those who are prepared, who are ready, that at your coming we will know you because we already know you. We will know what you like. We will not live in fear. We will live with a healthy anticipation of what you will do. Help us not to become frustrated in the delay, but to see it as opportunity for us to be about your business in whatever scenario we find ourselves.